If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Maybe uh, people that are not necessarily in the healthcare uh, system. Tonight, how approval of a third vaccine could potentially change BC's immunization rollout plan. Plus, Vancouver police bust a 17-person gender reveal party the host wasn't even trying to hide. And... Really, at this point, if you don't get it, it's like there's really no hope for you. When an apology isn't enough, what local film crews are being asked to do on set tomorrow. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Tomorrow morning, we will finally hear details of the mass vaccination plan for B.C. Health officials have long said age will determine who is inoculated first, starting with the oldest in our province. But with last week's approval of a third vaccine, the province's top doctor says they're now also considering singling out essential workers, vaccinating them with the new AstraZeneca shot. Grace Key has more. AstraZeneca could be a game changer for essential workers in B.C. Now approved in Canada, it may provide teachers, police officers and others a choice. Wait for their age group to come up to take the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines or get the AstraZeneca vaccine early, depending on when it arrives. So if you're a 40-year-old police officer who's eligible to get the AstraZeneca vaccine, say in April when it comes available, you can get the AstraZeneca vaccine or uh, wait until your 40-year age group comes up sometime later in the summer. Canada has secured 22 million doses. Most will be arriving after April. A small number will be here in the coming days from India. It doesn't have to be stored in ultra-cold temperatures, making it easier for remote areas. We don't need a a system or infrastructure for refrigeration. So that's very important because you can send to remote um, communities or a First Nation reserve that they don't have a good uh, supply of this uh, vaccine and now we don't need the infrastructure to store so they can store it in a regular fridge. With 1,400 pharmacies in the province, pharmacists say they could play an important part in the province's rollout plan. Once the supplies open up, the public could go to a neighborhood drugstore. Especially with AstraZeneca, because the storage conditions and um, uh, delivery conditions are not as strict as the Pfizer and Moderna, it's going to be easier to get those out uh, faster and distributed to uh, the pharmacies throughout um, BC. But until the government knows for sure when they'll be able to get AstraZeneca, they can't be too definitive on its rollout. Grace Global News. Okay, so far this is what we know about tomorrow's rollout plan announcement. If you are 80 years of age or older and receiving home care, you will be contacted by your home care provider for vaccination in early March. 
If you're not in home care, you will be contacted in various ways, including by home or mail, by phone rather, or mail. That will be in mid to late March. For those 70 to 79, you will have to register for an April vaccination. For all of the details, join us for the news conference at 10.30 tomorrow morning, and we will have that live on BC One and online. Vancouver police busted a gender reveal party in downtown Vancouver last night. Just after 8 o'clock, officers were called to an apartment near Robson and Hamilton Streets. The VPD says there were 17 people inside a suite attending the gender reveal party. The host was slapped with a $2,300 fine and the party was shut down. Area residents posted video of what could be seen clearly from neighboring buildings. Sergeant Steve Addison added, it shows terrible judgment and consideration for the community. Everyone knows the rules by now. And while we appreciate these folks wanted to share a momentous occasion with friends, there are more responsible ways to do it. It was a beautiful day yesterday. They could have gone outside, been socially distanced and marked the occasion in a much safer way. B.C.'s civilian police watchdog has been called in after a man was fatally shot by an RCMP officer near Tofino last night. The RCMP say two officers were called to the opposite First Nation on Mears Island to locate a woman in distress. Some sort of interaction took place, ending with one man being killed and another taken into custody. The woman was located and taken to hospital. The RCMP says it's investigating the initial call, including allegations the woman was being held against her will. A native court worker and counseling association of B.C. is calling for a full, independent and timely inquiry into the shooting of the man from the Clayquot First Nation. In the Fraser Valley, a double stabbing sent two teens to hospital Saturday night. Just after 8 o'clock, police found two teens suffering stab wounds outside the Abbotsford Rec Center in the 2400 block of McMillan Road. Both were transported to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. A 20-year-old is now in custody. Police are investigating the cause of the dispute. A new SFU-led study has found current overdose prevention efforts aren't enough to support those most at risk of a fatal overdose. The team interviewed 590 injection drug users in Vancouver about their awareness of fentanyl exposure during 2016 and 2017. The research published in Drug and Alcohol Review found approximately half of participants had tested positive for recent fentanyl exposure. Of those, about half were not aware they had been exposed to fentanyl at the time. What was alarming was that people who were aware of their fentanyl exposure were much more likely to inject drugs alone, a behavior that increases the risk of fatal overdose quite high. Furthermore, those people are also marked with severe marginalization. For example, they're uh, more likely to have recently incarcerated or reporting difficulty accessing any health or social services. Dr. Hayashi says more research is needed to determine why this group would continue to use drugs alone despite knowing the deadly risks. Past studies on HIV risk behavior suggest education is not enough to get some people to access services when there are broader social and structural barriers at play. The airsoft industry is up in arms over the federal government's firearms legislation. Bill C-21 will ban the use and sale and importation of hundreds of makes and models of assault-style weapons. But as Paul Johnson reports, the airsoft community says many of their guns will be caught up in that ban. 
taking a turn with an airsoft rifle in South Surrey. It's harder than it looks. Well, it may not be everyone's idea of a fun Sunday afternoon, firing hardened pellets of cornstarch at each other or at targets has been a safe and so far entirely legal pastime. It's, it's a game. It's a game for a lot of people on the weekend. Something to get outside, to get some exercise, and to play with their friends. But a new bill being advanced by the Trudeau government threatens to upend the sport in Canada. Bill C-21 is mostly aimed at real guns, but includes a provision that would ban the sale or importation of air guns that look like real guns, leaving the airsoft crowd kind of baffled and worried that their hobby is about to get a lot more complicated. I am worried that it will destroy the business. At Panther Airsoft Sunday, advocates for the sport gave a demonstration to a handful of local conservative MPs. They too aren't sure where the Liberals are going with this. I have not seen any evidence to show that shows that Airsoft um, toys or recreational activities uh, have in any way uh, been a threat to public safety. Global News asked a spokesperson for the Department of Justice what data they had showing so-called replica air guns are a criminal threat in Canada. We didn't hear back on that, other than their general statement that there's a gap in the law and that replica firearms are indistinguishable from real firearms and may be used to commit criminal offenses. It restricts import. And so there is no new equipment coming in. Well, no one here has a dispute with cracking down on criminal use of real guns. They suspect targeting replicas will mostly just inconvenience people like them and not criminals. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. And there are more questions than answers tonight about a freak accident that claimed the life of an employee at Baldy Mountain in the South Okanagan on Friday. Police say a 70-year-old man died when he somehow became stuck under a snow groomer. Shelby Tom has more from the ski hill. Baldy Mountain Resort, a small ski hill popular with locals near Oliver, reopened on Sunday following a one-day temporary closure as authorities investigated the sudden death of a worker who became trapped underneath a snowplow. A WorkSafe BC officer is back on the mountain for a second day investigating what exactly happened and how to prevent future tragedies like this. Skiers and boarders returned to the hill to enjoy a spring-like day with little evidence such a tragedy occurred here other than the closure of the Eagle Double Chairlift. Resort Management, RCMP and WorkSafe BC declined interviews Sunday. Police say in a statement that a 70-year-old employee sustained serious injuries after becoming stuck beneath a snowcat groomer on Friday around quarter to five in the evening. The man died despite the best efforts efforts of other employees and first aid attendants to save him. It is with great pain we report the passing of a wonderful, caring, gentle and valued Baldy family member from a terrible accident. The resort posted on Facebook. We are all devastated. The intense emotions we feel are beyond comprehension. It remains unclear how the man got stuck, if anyone else was involved and what's being done to prevent something like this from happening 
happening again. Skiers and boarders are in shock and express their condolences to the victim's family and his colleagues. It's just horrified. Just, yeah, just an awful thing to happen. It's a small hill, right? So the, um, it's always like a nice spirit that can be felt around and everything. So, yes, I believe losing a worker would be probably a big, uh, a big loss for everyone. Absolutely tragic. Um, they're doing hard work up here, so working long hours, accidents can happen, and it's horrible to, that it happened here. It's a tragedy. It's really sad. The BC Corner Service is also investigating. The man's identity has not been released. Shelby Tom at Baldy Mountain Resort near Oliver. Another weekend has gone by without any answers on the whereabouts of a missing Chilliwack woman. Family and friends gathered for a candlelight vigil Saturday night for 23-year-old Shailene Bell. She was last seen on January 30th near the 9300 block of Edward Street in Chilliwack. Her family says her car, a Hyundai Tucson, was found with her cell phone and other belongings inside. Bell is the mother of two small boys and her loved ones say she would never abandon them. For me personally, it's, well, it's a nightmare. I get up every day and I have to do the same thing over and over. And I think that the only thing that's kept me going has been her boys because I know that those boys are her world and she would want that. If you have any information on Bell's whereabouts, you're asked to please call RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Jack Wing Chow, a pillar of Vancouver's Chinese-Canadian community, has died at the age of 90. Chow was born in Cumberland on Vancouver Island. He moved to Vancouver as a teenager. After starting his career as a realtor, he opened his family insurance business in 1962. That business led to the eventual purchase in the mid-1980s of two iconic locations that sit Kitty Corner at Pender and Carroll Streets. The world-famous building with its animated neon sign was four feet 10 inches deep and is recognized as the world's shallowest commercial building by the Guinness Book of Records. Chinatown has undergone massive change over Chow's lifetime. His son says his father remained convinced to the end the area can be revitalized. What his thought was, if, as long as there's people here, that the people, the more people that we have, then we're not going to have the safety and safety issues, crime issues. We need to bring people back to Chinatown. So that was his whole concept. People, 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 it's all he says. And you want people to come back. So you have to give them good service. Jack Chow died of natural causes and was laid to rest on Saturday. He's survived by his wife of 63 years, his four children and seven grandchildren. Film crews in Vancouver are being encouraged to wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts on the job tomorrow. It's in solidarity with a crew member who was recently ordered to take off their BLM shirt while working on a production. But as Ahmad Gahi reports, critics say the industry needs to do much more than show support. This was this abuse of power wholeheartedly. Shamika Mitchell is an actress working in Metro Vancouver and is still bothered by an incident that, in her words, lit the local film industry on fire last week. It was my friend that it happened to. A friend we first met on Friday and are referring to as Billy because they fear speaking out under their real name could limit future jobs. The lighting technician decided to walk off the set of a production called Gone Mom after being told by a producer what they were wearing was, quote, too political. Billy says it was a Black Lives Matter shirt. That made me 
sad and really uncomfortable to be on a production that has can employ someone in that position with that kind of uh, mindset. Billy has since heard an apology, and the producer has been removed from set, according to the film company. But the effects of his hurtful actions will remain, says Mitchell, who organized last spring's Juneteenth march in Vancouver. Black Lives Matter! People don't understand how damaging it is and how hurtful it is to tell someone or to make a statement like that, that a Black Lives Matter shirt or mask or anything is a problem. We want to encourage that rather than just be a, an incident that comes and goes, that this type of situation helps us launch into a better understanding of these issues so that ultimately we, they don't happen anymore and that we can move on to a, a workplace that is genuinely open and inclusive for everybody. In solidarity, Monday, many in film crews across Metro Vancouver are planning to wear Black Lives Matter clothing on and off the set. Amadagahi, Global News. Vancouver Park Board says it is heartbroken to learn several trees in a city park have been defaced with racist graffiti. At least eight trees in the Marpole Riverview Park were spray-painted with swastikas and words white power. The hate messages and symbols were discovered Saturday. Both the city of Vancouver and the Park Board are condemning what are described as abhorrent acts of racism and say they stand in solidarity with the indigenous, black, racialized and Jewish communities targeted. Crews are in the process of removing the racist graffiti. Anyone with information is asked to call 311. These are vandals, these are racists, plain and simple, and it's not acceptable in our, in our city at all. This is the first time I've ever experienced something like this, and, and I'll tell you, it, it just, uh, it, it's unbelievable that in today's day and age, and yet, Sadly, it's very believable. We have our park rangers, our, our parks folks who are uh, coming out immediately to address it. It's just not okay with us. A northern B.C. village with a population of around 800 people continues to deal with the fallout of a social media post by its mayor, widely seen as racist. Post Coopie's mayor now says she sees her errors in her judgment and is issuing a heartfelt apology. But as Kristen Robinson reports, she's still refusing to step down, and that's causing big problems on council. Post such an offensive statement on social media. What so? I'm not done on social media, okay? And... Meeting's over. You're out. Days after an explosive council meeting in Puskupi, Mayor Lorraine McKetty apologizing again and saying, quote, I feel that I need to do more to mend the bridges that I have damaged, so I will also be seeking counseling for anger management and social media use. And I'm not resigning. Fair. Okay. And uh, there's nothing we can do to make you resign. Exactly. Council asked McKetty to resign and voted unanimously to remove her from all committee and board duties after screenshots surfaced of a Facebook post where she says, don't want pipelines, they want to protect our land. Yeah, okay. Along with photos of homes with garbage-strewn lawns, critics claim it's a racist reference to Indigenous pipeline opponents. I never intended it as being uh, racist. Our mayor's comments are black mark on this community. I, I, first of all, I can't hear you. I am not taking my mask off. When counselors questioned McKetty about the post, you just want to say, all right, suck it up, move on, and I'm not saying that. 
They learned she had also compared gun owners to Holocaust victims. You would liken your position to a Jew in cattle car waiting to go to. Once they take our guns away, back like Hitler, that's what it was all about. You know what, that is a terrible, terrible comparison. How dare you? But that again was taken out of context. Councillor Ken Drover has since submitted his resignation. The mayor now says, quote, I have always just called it as I see it, never thinking about how the interpretation could be taken. Lesson learned, I was very wrong. I'm picking it. I did it. I, 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 what else am I to do? Quitting doesn't appear to be on the table. I just don't understand how we can move forward and you still sit in this chair and get well, Barbara, to going anywhere. village business. I ain't going anywhere. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Monday is the deadline to contribute to RRSPs, making the unofficial, marking rather the unofficial start to tax season. And there are some changes you may want to be aware of. Many Canadians will likely want to claim the new work from home benefit, which allows for $2 a day for each day of work from home due to the pandemic up to $400. Tax experts warn this year could be one of the more confusing tax seasons because of all the benefits Canadians have drawn from. They say if you took advantage of any federal COVID benefits, you should expect to owe on your tax return. But there is an interest relief program. If you owe money to the Canada Revenue Agency because you've collected certain benefit programs, that there'll be no penalties, no interest on those funds that you owe until April of 2022. Now, this only applies to people who collected money from a COVID-related benefit program. If Canadians owe taxes on any for any reason, that money is still due on April 30th of this year. Well, today is the last day to take advantage of having your say in the neighborhood parking in the city of Vancouver. This survey is in response to a potential program to change all street parking within city limits. The new permit system would apply in all neighborhoods that don't already have permit parking regulations. Fees are expected to start at about $45 annually, but owners of combustion engine vehicles could pay more. The city says the program would help reduce pollution and address parking issues. You can participate at shareyourcity.ca slash parking. A Global Okanagan viewer captured a snapshot of a wild kingdom of the wild kingdom being, well, wild. Have a look at this. Darren Crowell has, was hanging out in MacArthur Island Park in Kamloops yesterday when he spotted something he thought, well, might get interesting. So he started recording these unsuspecting ducks on his cell phone and then caught the moment when a lynx jumps out of the bushes, leaps into the air and snags one. But, well, breakfast was not to be. The unlucky lynx lost the duck almost as quickly as he caught it. Poor links. Former President Donald Trump spoke publicly today for the first time since losing the election, addressing the Conservative Political Action Conference in Orlando, Florida. He attacked his successor, President Biden, touted his own record, and made some news about his future plans. Rolling up in an out-of-office presidential motorcade, choosing an arena of adulation. This conservative political action conference. Hello, CPAC. Do you miss me yet? Nearly six weeks of private quiet over. We have the Republican Party. I am not starting a new party. 
That was fake news. Donald Trump engineered a return to appear triumphant, spurning his own defeat. Using his first major platform to pounce on his successor, President Biden. Joe Biden has had the most disastrous first month of any president in modern history. That's true. Mr. Trump attacking the current president over COVID-related closures of schools. Joe Biden sold out America's children to the teachers' unions. That brazen criticism, another breach of the past president's code, that a new leader deserves silence for a time to govern. But those norms never constrain Donald Trump, who today lamented President Biden's rollback of Trump policies on climate, immigration, Iran, and more. The 45th president is stoking the suspense. The attention and influence he craves may still be accessible among core supporters who did not turn away after insurrection and impeachment. He called for election reform, while repeating his grievances and false claims. This election was rigged, and the Supreme Court and other courts didn't want to do anything about it. Eleven people have been killed in a drive-by shooting in Mexico. Authorities said gunmen riding in two trucks opened fire with rifles outside a home in a town near Guadalajara. The town is in the Mexican state of Jalisco, where a former governor was shot dead in December. It's one of the epicenters of Mexico's drug-related warfare. Authorities said most of the victims were sitting on a bench, apparently waiting to get paid for the week. The attackers are still at large. Despite the Mexican president's pledge to reduce violence in the country, there are still tens of thousands of homicides each year. Canada's embassy in Yangon is commenting on, condemning rather, the violence in Myanmar, calling it appalling. That country witnessed its bloodiest day since the military coup sparked nationwide demonstrations. In the latest crackdown on protesters, security forces killed at least 18 people. Dozens more were wounded. A United Nations human rights representative on the ground says the protests had been peaceful until the police moved in. Throughout the weekend, there have been mass arrests across Myanmar. Protesters are demanding the elected government of Aung San Suu Kyi be restored to power. Two astronauts conducted the first of a series of spacewalks at the International Space Station today in an effort to upgrade the lab's aging solar power system. Checking the airlock forward, Kate Rubens and Victor Glover switched their spacesuits to battery power to take part in the 235th station spacewalk since the assembly began in 1998. This is the third so far this year and the third overall for both astronauts. The goal is to install struts to support new solar array blankets scheduled for delivery later this year. They'll help feed power into eight electrical circuits. And have a look at this. The remnants believed to be from a Chinese rocket were seen re-entering Earth's atmosphere above the skies of Queensland, Australia this week. A growing amount of broken satellites and spent rocket parts has raised concerns over congestion, which increases the risk of collisions in space that can cause serious damage to spacecraft. Why, landing in the rough could cost more than a couple of strokes at this golf tournament. We'll have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. A bit of a drizzly day today.
that big gray out there. Uh, we are going to see uh, temperatures, though, still on the mild side. Today, we got into the double digits for a few spots with the warm front. We can see from Lillooet and the Soyuz bumping up to 10 and 11 degrees. Out of the airport today, we climbed up to 7 degrees. Now, we're currently sitting at 7. We do still have some light rainfall drizzle for most areas. It'll continue and then drier conditions as we get in overnight. We've got a northeasterly wind right now at 15 kilometers per hour. So there are there is a bit of drizzle still across the south coast. We can see that for Metro Vancouver. Overnight tonight, temperatures will be down to 6 degrees. We'll see drier conditions. And we do have some fog in the mix. So a heads up for the early morning hours. It'll be fog patches dissipating, hanging onto the cloud cover. But another warm day is in store for our Monday. And we do have temperatures back up into the double digits with highs closer to 11 degrees. Now the precipitation across the island, especially for the northern and western edge, that'll be overnight for tomorrow morning. Most areas across Metro Vancouver, just a 30% chance for an isolated shower. And then it picks up. But it'll be late day tomorrow, likely towards the evening that we'll see that shower. Showers pushing in once again. And higher elevations, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we are looking at some snow accumulating once again. Here's a quick glance, though. For the northern half of the province, it's wet snowfall in the mix overnight leading in towards the morning hours. Should change over to a chance of showers with those temperatures above the freezing mark. We do have chilly temperatures for the northeastern corners with Fort Nelson just bumping up to minus 15. Much of the central interior, so it's this evening, overnight, and for tomorrow morning, a few flurries and then changing over to a chance of showers. Most areas in the Columbia and Kootenai will be included within that as well, but not much in terms of precipitation. Thompson Okanagan will see a fair bit of cloud cover, should remain dry. Kamloops tomorrow bumping up to 11 degrees and it'll be windy tomorrow. Could see gusts anywhere between 40 and up to 50 kilometers per hour. Whistler highs tomorrow up to 7 degrees and along the south coast we'll see some wetter conditions for the northern and western half of the island. Breaks towards the afternoon. Most areas tomorrow it should be cloud cover. We will see that chance of showers increase though especially as we get in towards the evening. Long-range forecast over the next few days will hang on to cloud cover. We do have some dry patches in between and then showers picking up Tuesday, Wednesday night. Some of the heavier precipitation later on in the week, but mild. We'll be into the double digits. It'll be pleasant out there, but we'll still see a, bit, a fair bit of cloud cover. Colleen? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. The pandemic means there's no gallery at golf championships these days, but that doesn't mean the players aren't being watched from the course. How about... Ooh, we said there were gators. Plenty of them out here. Aaron Rye with that backdrop. And over at 17, uh, Bones, you're out there. I hope you're not too close. <gasps> Two gigantic alligators were caught on camera this week at the PGA WGC Workday Championship in Florida. The golfers got pretty close to the lizards at times. Note to self, if you hit your ball near an alligator, just take a mulligan. Plenty of them out here. Yeah. Or bring your seven iron. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Get out of here, you. Oh, Barry, what have you got coming up? Uh, well, the Raptors were supposed to play the Chicago Bulls tonight, but for the first time, uh, COVID has uh, struck uh, Canada's only NBA team. So that game postponed. That could uh, affect their last two games before the All-Star break. So we'll check in on that. And we got uh, some curling and more golf, some with gators, some without. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Barry. Perseverance isn't just the name of the robotic rover that landed on Mars recently. It's also the characteristic required to be part of the NASA team that accomplished that incredible feat. And that's especially true of the women inside Mission Control. Women, you're about to meet. Touchdown confirmed. It was the voice heard round the world. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars. 
NASA's Swafi Mohan wasn't just a commentator. About to conduct the flight crane maneuver. She leads the space controls team. How did you feel when you said the words touchdown confirmed? I was still in a little bit of shock. Mohan moved to the U.S. from India when she was one. She's among more than a dozen women of color on the core perseverance team of roughly 300. What was it like for you, Christina, when you were watching and listening to Swafi? I was like, yes, girl. I was so excited, you know, to see a woman who, A, is not only giving so much to the community, but she is a technical beast. Engineer Christina Hernandez, who's first-generation Mexican-American, helped develop the rover's scientific instruments. And Mujige Cooper, who's half-Black and half-Korean, leads the team that ensures no contaminants are left on Mars. There's no perfect uh, team out there. You know, diversity could always be improved. But, man, when I look around and I see women leaders and engineers, it just warms my heart. <laughs> what do you guys do for NASA? Calculate your lofted landing site. NASA's historic struggles with diversity are documented in hidden figures, the true story of female African-American mathematicians who served a vital role in the space race. It's not so far away generationally. My father tells me about how he served in a segregated unit in the Navy. Of all groups of people, I have the most faith that scientists can think beyond the construct of whatever society says and be more more inclusive to others. Diversity is all about different viewpoints. And when you're trying to solve these complex problems, we need to be able to think outside of the box. Did any of you ever encounter someone who said, you can't be an engineer or you can't work for NASA? There are always moments where it's like inside you question, oh, is it because I'm I'm young? Is it because I'm a young female? Is it because I'm a young black female? But you just gotta keep pushing toward the stars. Growing up, they couldn't all afford luxuries like space camp, but their families found a way. If there was not a local library, if we didn't have PBS, which is free, those things make it accessible no matter what your income is. Those struggles just made us even better at our jobs. Like my grandma says, she says, Echale ganas, mija. So like, you know, give it your all. And that's, I think, what all of us do on Mars Perseverance. Adriana Diaz, CBS News, Chicago. Barry's here with sports, and I, I guess it was inevitable, huh? Yeah, this, uh, especially down in the U.S. The Raptors, of course, are uh, playing out in Tampa Bay, not Toronto these days. So, yeah, maybe it was uh, going to happen. COVID has finally caught up with the Raptors for the first time this season. They had to postpone a game because of positive COVID tests. So today's game against the Bulls has been postponed. The NBA says the Raptors wouldn't have been able to dress the minimum eight players on Friday Head coach Nick Nurse and five members of his staff and Pascal Siakam were absent from the Raptors bench. Raptors have two more games to go before the week-long All-Star break. It's not known if those games will need to be postponed as well. The Raptors are 17-17, and 17, fourth place in the Eastern Conference. The Canucks practiced today and then flew to Winnipeg, where they will play back-to-back games against the Jets Monday and Tuesday. The Canucks have just two wins in their last 13, so everyone they play right now is playing better than they are. But the Jets especially are rolling four straight wins, second-best win percentage in the North, division behind the Leafs and a team the Canucks always have problems with. Vancouver's got them just where they want them. As far as Winnipeg goes, yeah, they're a good team. There's no secret. They're playing well. I think they've won eight of their last 11. Um, You look at their lineup and the goals that they've scored in the top three lines, um, they're dangerous and uh, it's going to be a good test. But we're going to say that (laughs) every night in in the North Division. Um, You're going to have to bring your best game every night if you want to win. And uh, 
as of late, I think we've been bringing a pretty good game to the table. We've got to find a way to get it across the line. NHL today, Matt Barzell in the Isles taking on the Penguins from Long Island. Pittsburgh 4-1 and record this year against the Isles, but New York got the jump late first. Oliver Wallstrom on the one-timer finds net. one nothing Isles. Second period, another power play. Jean-Gabriel Pajot with the quick release. That was it. Isles shut down the Pens 2-0. New York 8-2-2 in its last 12. New York tied with Boston for second in the East, just two points back of the Capitals. Bruins and Rangers from MSG. First period. Charlie Coyle cutting in off the left wing. What a move here. Roofs it. Great goal by Coyle, his fourth of the year. And it's 1-0 Boston later in the period. They will add another. Trent Frederick causing havoc in front of the net. Gets a piece of the point shot. Frederick's second goal of the year. And it's 2-0 Bruins. And they did cruise from there. Second period on the power play. Charlie McAvoy loads up the one-timer. Blasts it home. Bruins win 4-1. Boston, a solid 12-5-2 record, second in the East behind the Capitals. The BCHL, like the Western Hockey League in this province, still waiting for the word from the provincial health authorities to get the green light to get some games in this season. Not playing for over a year has put a lot of teams in financial peril, and now the owner of the Nanaimo Clippers has had enough. He's putting his team up for sale. With Junior A hockey, what you have is 75% of your your business revenue comes from fans in the building, and I can't imagine that's going to happen anytime soon. So the second thing is, is we're now um, going to be suffering a lot of additional expenses because of um, COVID testing and so forth. And I know the Alberta teams are paying about sixty-seven thousand dollars extra a month. I hear, and that's something I just can't um, withstand. So I mean, ideally, if we ever get a season, I'd love to see the government kick in and pay at least what the cost of the extra safety measures are. Because it is um, very um, unfortunate for business owners to be able to work under these um, circumstances, especially the extra expense um, and the lack of revenues. So it becomes a very impossible business model to keep going. Scotty Semi from Calgary, Alberta's Laura Walker, beat uh, Jennifer Jones in a tiebreaker in the morning to get to the semis against Kerry Anderson's Team Canada rink. Sixth then, Canada up 3-2. Anderson with the hammer, sets up the end with her first stone, a fantastic raised takeout. That would lead to a three-point end. Anderson goes up 6-2. Then in the eighth, Anderson with last rock again. Pretty routine, quiet takeout here. Sticks around and again scores three. Canada wins 9-3 over Alberta, setting up the final versus Ontario's Rachel Holman. And that final is just underway. Holman has a three Scotties titles, but she's never been eight months pregnant while playing for one. But she is now. It's a rematch of last year's funnel, won by Anderson 8-7 and an extra end. Fourth end, Holman facing five Canada Stones. Needs to draw full four foot to get the point. And she does a pressure shot. 3-2 Ontario. They are playing the fifth end. Canadian Mike Weir with the chance to get his first Champions Tour victory for the 50-plus crowd. Weir a two-shot lead at Tucson at the Colaguard Classic, entering the final round today. Had an excellent front side here on the seventh. Weir chipping it in for a birdie. Gets to 15 under par, and then at the eighth, 
delicate downhill slider putt here. He will bend that one in for another birdie. Weir gets to 16 under, stretches his lead to four shots. But by the 16th, his lead down to two. Kevin Sutherland playing alongside Weir in the final group. Second shot on the par three, looking to get it close. Does better than that. Knocks it in for the unlikely birdie. He's within one. Same hole, Weir with a five-footer to save par and keep his lead. But slides it by. It's a bogey, a two-shot swing. They're now tied with two holes to go. Par 5, 17th. Weir with the birdie chance from the fringe. But can't get that to go. Sutherland would tap in for an easy birdie. Took the lead for good as he wins the Colaguard Classic by two over Weir, who settles for second and a uh, check for 150000 WGC workday from the Concession Golf Club in Naples, Florida. Many players like Rory McIlroy, Tony Finau, and Patrick Reed paying tribute to Tiger Woods by wearing Tiger's traditional red shirt, black pants Sunday combo. Of course, Tiger recovering from the serious car crash earlier this week in L.A. Colin Morikawa, of course, Tiger was his hero growing up in the L.A. area. Two-shot lead entering the day, put the pedal down early. Birdie at the ninth, made the turn with a three-shot lead. And then on 12 from eight foot feet, will bend in this one for another birdie. Gets to 18 under, then at 18 will finish with another clutch putt. Really didn't need it, but wins by three shots over Victor Hovland, Billy Horschel, and Brooks Kepka. 18 under the winning score. Mackenzie Hughes tied 44th at two over. English Premiership Liverpool trying to snap a four-game EPL losing streak. Took on last place Sheffield United, and that was the tonic they needed. Curtis Jones gets the game winner in the 48th. They would add another to win it 2-0, but they're sixth place. 19 points behind first place Man City. City leads second place United by 12 after Man U drew nil-nil with Chelsea. And the NASCAR Dixie Vodka 400 from Homestead Miami Speedway. Final lap is stage two. Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin dueling for the win. But here comes the 24, driven by William Byron. Dips down low, makes the pass, takes the checkered flag to get the stage win. Then with 58 laps to go, Byron working his way to the front again, gets a little push from teammate Kyle Larson, takes the lead, and he would never look back. The 23-year-old led for 101 of the 267 laps, gets the win at Miami, just the second of his NASCAR Cup Series career. And that is it for sports. Colleen, back to you. Well, I think we may have seen the last of the snow for the South Coast, but if you head up to the hills. There's still mm-hmm. a lot up there. And this is an idea that our local mountains may want to adopt to encourage more people to go snowshoeing. Have a look at this. A farm south of the border has seen its business skyrocket during, skyrocket during the pandemic, and it's all thanks to these goats. They're part of the experience when you snowshoe at Into the Woods Farm in Middle Grove, New York. Snowshoers choose the length of their trek and whether or not to have the goats come along. But most people choose to include the goats, and that's good for everybody. Where I would typically run five snowshoes a season, I have three snowshoes a day straight up and through March 1st right now. Goats are something that we thought were a fad when it started with the goat yoga three years ago, and it never ends. People love them. Aw, Phaedra says that people tend to forget about the exercise part of the trek when the goats are along for a hike. Aren't they sweet? (laughs) Uh, Okay, we were talking about weather, and uh, Monday is the first day of spring, 
<laughs> Meteorological spring. Yes, it is. Uh, we are going to see uh, great conditions, even some fog patches. So a heads up could see some visibility uh, low for the early morning hours. And then we've got a chance of showers. The silver lining as we get into our long range forecast will be the mild temperatures. And then we're hoping to see some more sunshine in the long range, too. Okie dokie. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan's here at 11. Have a great night.